Hello, this is Linda Grinnell Merrick. I'm a nurse practitioner at the University of Rochester in Rochester, New York, and the immediate past president of the Rheumatology Nurses Society. I'm delighted to join you today to talk about psoriatic arthritis. We'll talk about diagnosis and treatment options for psoriatic arthritis. Psoriatic arthritis is a chronic systemic inflammatory condition that affects up to 3 million people in the United States. It occurs in about 40% of patients who have psoriasis. Patients generally have psoriasis before developing joint symptoms. Psoriasis will usually occur about 10 years prior to having development of joint symptoms. Psoriatic arthritis is a multi-domain disease. Patients with psoriatic arthritis can be affected by one or to six clinical domains. These domains are recognized by the Group of Research and Assessment of Psoriasis and Psoriatic Arthritis, known as GRAPA. The domains include peripheral arthritis, axial disease, emphysitis, dactylitis, skin, and nail manifestations. In peripheral arthritis, patients will have radiographic features, which includes joint erosions, joint space narrowing, osteolysis, and they can develop this very specific finding to psoriatic arthritis, which is known as osteolysis, where patients will have the bony appearance will look like a pencil and cup appearance. So where the bone is actually eroded so that the tip of the bone actually looks like a pencil sitting inside of a cup. Um, that is very helpful in diagnosis of these patients. Patients will also have axial disease. This occurs in about 40% of patients with psoriatic arthritis where they have inflammatory spine disease. Anthocytis, which is inflammation at sites where tendon and ligaments insert. And some of the anthocyl sites include the supraspinatus, lateral epicondyle, the iliac crest, trochanter, patellar quad, plantar fasciitis, fascia, plantar fascia, and Achilles tendon. So these are important to keep in mind when you're doing an exam of a patient. Dactylitis is also a feature of psoriatic arthritis where patients will have this asymmetric peripheral joint swelling and the finger or the toe will actually look like a sausage. It's completely swollen. Skin disease where patients will have psoriatic lesions. Lesions can be to very minimal skin lesions to uh, extensive skin lesions. And nail disease, uh, which include pitting disease, uh, onchalysis, oil drop discoloration, and splinter hemorrhages can all be seen also in this disease. It's also important to keep in mind that the presentation of psoriatic arthritis is quite different from uh, rheumatoid arthritis, and this does help us when we're making a diagnosis of psoriatic arthritis. It's kind of look at the distribution of the diseases. So for instance, in psoriatic arthritis, the joints are typically and I will say typically, because not everybody's textbook, but typically that are affected would be the large joints, especially those of the lower extremities. And then the distal joints, so those GIP joints, are very frequently affected in patients with psoriatic arthritis, as is the back and the SI joints. In rheumatoid arthritis, you'll probably see much more frequently wrist and hand involvement. Um, the GIPs are spared in uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Um, but elbows, shoulders, and knees and ankles can be seen with rheumatoid arthritis. So just something to keep in mind when you're diagnosing a patient if you're seeing some of the more classic PSA symptoms versus uh, what you would see in rheumatoid arthritis. 
So that brings us to looking at the kind of initial clinical evaluation of a patient that may present with peripheral arthritis. So you want to start by examining the peripheral joints, do an exam of all the peripheral joints, including the DIPs of the hands and feet. You would then move on to also be looking at emphysitis, and I like to do this at the same time as I'm doing my joint exam. I kind of check the emphysial sites at the same time. So you're going to palpate um, the sites such as the plantar fascia, the Achilles tendon, the quadriceps and patellar tendons to see if there's any tenderness at these sites. Dactylitis, you want to take account of dactylitis. Dactylitis is kind of a my bingo when I see dactylitis in a patient. If I walk in your room and they have a dactylodigi, either the fingers or their toes, it's really helping me to make that diagnosis. Uh, axial disease, so you want to talk to your patients about some kind of, if they have any inflammatory back or neck pain. You'll do a Schober score, having to do some lateral bend, bending to see how far they can get those fingertips to the knee area, um, looking at targets to walls, so is there any neck involvement, are they able to still stand up straight, um, cervical palpitation and cervical rotation, all part of the axial exam. Then you move on and do a, a basic skin and nail exam. Uh, you want to kind of look at how much body surface area that they have for psoriasis. And a quick way to remember that is if you look at the palm of the patient's hand, 1% of that, that would include, would be 1%. So if they had a skin lesion that was in that palm or area, that would be 1% body surface area. And we don't want to forget to be looking at the nails while we're looking at the skin disease. Uh, so we're looking for knit, uh, pitting, crumbling, or onchalysis. You know, diagnosis in psoriatic arthritis is really much more clinical and imaging. Unfortunately, to date, we don't really have any specific biomarkers. So you're really looking at your, your clinical judgment as well as imaging features. Uh, and it can be challenging. Um, you know, reports, most recent reports say that about 15.5% of patients with psoriasis have undiagnosed psoriatic arthritis. And for some patients, you know, the diagnosis even for in a rheumatology practice is not easy to make maybe on the initial visit and that we may be seeing these patients for a repeated number of times and following them closely for a period of time. So that's diagnosis, kind of how you go about thinking about diagnosing a patient with psoriatic arthritis. Then we have to move on to well, what do we do? What are our treatment options? What types of treatments are available for these patients? I always kind of like to start with non-pharmacological therapies. We have a lot available to us. Physical therapy is really very, very important for our patients. We want to keep them active. We want to keep them moving. Occupational therapy is also important. Uh, some patients may need to have um, some special utensils, even things as a fork or a knife or something made to help them if they're having issues with gripping. It's very important for these patients to stop smoking. Weight loss is very important. Um, things that they can do besides that is massage therapy, acupuncture, and exercise. And for some patients, that is ongoing, not just an initial therapy, you know, initial diagnosis, but should be an ongoing way of life for them. Our um, symptomatic treatments for patients who are coming in with pain and we need to help them. We'll look at non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, so NSAIDs. Many of our patients will take NSAIDs, um, steroids, whether those are you know, given to them systemically or given provided as an intraarticular injection, especially if they have one or two joints that are really painful. The intraarticular injections can really help with that. We have some drugs that we'll go into a little bit more in detail. We have our small molecules, which include methotrexate, 
sulfasalazine, cyclosporin, lefutamide, and apremolast. We also have our TNFs, which include drugs like etanercept, infleximab, adalibumab, golibumab, and sertolizumab. Uh, our IL-1223, which is ustekinumab, our IL-17, which is itzekinumab, and we have a selective T-cell co-stimulator modulator, which is a badisap, and a JAK inhibitor, which is tofacitamide. We are very fortunate. We have had so many new drugs come to market for patients with psoriatic arthritis and a promise for many more drugs to come in the future. As far as treatment guidelines, there's a couple um, good guidelines that are available to help with treatment choices and treatment guidelines. Um, the one that I know I like to follow um, is the GRAPA guidelines because they've really broken their guidelines down into the domains that we mentioned earlier. So that really helps you look if the patient has you know, peripheral disease, where might I start with this patient? But interestingly, as you look at the guidelines, most of them do start with NSAIDs and maybe some steroid therapies. ACR also has wonderful guidelines that came out. I believe it's been about a year now. Um, so they have guidelines for patients who are naive to treatments, so they've not had any prior treatments for psoriatic arthritis, as well as patients who've had active disease and you may be moving them uh, from one treatment to another and where would you go to next? You know, if they've been on a TNF, should I go back to another TNF or should I look at another mechanism of action? So those are uh, what's available for us for treatment and I'll just go over this a little bit more. So I like to think of this as the PSA treatment toolbox. You know, what do we have out there? Well, we have our NSAIDs, and then we have our glucocorticoids. And then we do have you know, our traditional oral DMARDs, which are disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs, which include the methotrexate, lufludamide, sulfasalazine, and cyclosporin and hydroxychloroquine are some of the things that are available. In our TNF, cetanercept, adalibumab, infliximab, sertolizumab, and golibumab. Uh, and adjunct therapy, so things that we could do to help in between. So if these drugs maybe are patient has a flare and it's only one joint or a patient is you know, not doing as well as we want them to do, we want to think about joint injections, physical therapy, and occupational therapy, as we mentioned before. Other adjunct therapy that we have to keep thinking about when we're working with these patients is to think about exercise, weight loss, dietary changes, acupuncture, patient education is very important and ongoing part of their therapy, any kind of social support. I find psoriatic arthritis to be very difficult for our patients. Uh, they've been diagnosed perhaps with psoriasis for years and now they're giving another disease on top of that. Um, so it can be a lot of depression in this patient group. So any kind of social support, um, any kind of therapy that might be a benefit for them would certainly be um, something to consider for this patient population. New therapies out there, newer therapies, I guess I should say, we've been, like I said, been fortunate in the last several years, we've had new drugs with uh, new MOAs come to market, those, as we mentioned before, are used to kinumab, itzikinumab, tofacitinib, and abadisat. And we have many new ones that are coming out, many new jacks that are gonna be coming, that are on market and probably looking uh, for a new indication in the very near future. So as I said before, it's kind of been an exciting time in the world of therapies for psoriatic arthritis. But we could never talk about psoriatic arthritis without also talking about the comorbidities that are associated with psoriatic arthritis. Um, these patients are at risk for many comorbidities, which can really be disabling, really impair their quality of life and their life expectancy. 
So when you're seeing these patients, things that you want to think about, as I mentioned before, depression and anxiety are um, a risk factor, at higher risk of osteoporosis, hypertension and cardiovascular disease, uveitis, gastrointestinal disorders, so inflammatory bowel diseases such as Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, fatty liver disease, and malignancies, obesity and metabolic syndrome are all part of the comorbidities that patients with psoriatic arthritis are at risk for. So in summary, uh, when you're seeing patients, you want to really make certain that you're getting a good comprehensive evaluation and, and maybe try to see what domain has this patient been in. You know, are they mostly having peripheral disease? Are they mostly having axial disease? Because that will really help you if you're looking at the guidelines to help you kind of focus in on what might be the best therapy uh, or adjunct therapy for this patient. And again, you really want to keep in mind about comorbidities. These patients are at high risk for many comorbidities, and we want to make certain they're working closely with their primary care doctors, um, perhaps cardiology, some of our other colleagues, to make certain that all their comorbidities are being addressed. And I certainly hope that you found this to be uh, a value to you. Thank you.